0: strangely croaky. I did not discover it until I came down to breakfast because I'm not in the habit of speaking to myself so I didn't even realize it was like this until I said morning to someone <laughs> um, so now it's your job to do a lot I don't want to ruin this by putting my stuff on top of it so would someone like to come and rescue it just so that we don't I don't put something on top of it thank you that's wonderful <coughs> Yes, so it's your job now to pray all the way through so that this croaky voice actually manages to hold up. I always think it's very interesting, you know, if you say something like, the enemy wants to rob you of your voice, <laughs> he decides I think I'll give it a go. <laughs> but we know he's not going to succeed, so um, that's great. The other thing was I decided I had carried these shoes with me, all the way from Belfast, but I was aware that Charlotte had told us her story about shoes with a little heel. So I've studiously avoided wearing them all weekend. <laughs> but um, I thought I've avoided every soap dispenser. I have washed my hands, but I've used the little solid soaps. Um, and uh, so I thought it was safe enough to to break out the shoes with the heels. And they're, def- they're not squeaking or anything, so there's no talcum powder <laughs> being, being involved in the whole situation. So I think we're safe enough on that, f- on that front. Um, <coughs> we'll not have time at the end to say, but for Charlotte and I, this has been a joy. You're an absolute joy to be with. And this is a very unique conference. It really is. I think sometimes when you're involved with something, you don't realise um, just what you have, and you have something incredibly unique here. I mean, you've got something that yeah, is ha- is rooted in in the past, uh, and you know has has flown year after year after year. But um, there there's such a wonderful sense of unity, of care, of the spirit's presence when we're here. Um, fellowship. I mean, it is real. It is really wonderful. And so for Charlotte and I, it's been a real privilege to come. We have received so much, and it's been just a privilege to share with you this weekend. So thank you, and thank you for all your love and support and encouragement to us as well. Um, this is our final session looking at Esther. And we are going to finish today by looking at the story from the point of view of the faithfulness of God, which is the most wonderful topic to be able to finish on, and especially to lead in to communion. (coughs) You know, I, I do think that the words, you know, God is faithful, God is good, you know, they easily trip off our lips. But I think if I'm being absolutely honest, sometimes when trouble comes or we're in difficult situations, I don't know about you, but I definitely in those circumstances, even, you know, though I've walked with the Lord all these years, there's moments then when I start to ask the questions and I begin to doubt his faithfulness. Um, I'm so blessed to still have my mum and dad. Um, My dad is coming 95 in a couple of weeks' time. Mum shortly will be (coughs) 93. And recently well my dad has been pretty incapacitated for quite a long time and physically but mom has been absolutely amazing but this year she's had a lot of health problems and it's been hard it's been a hard year and they have loved jesus and they've been so faithful all of their lives and you know i've been praying for them praying for them and it felt that there was a period not that long ago actually when i was asking the lord for so many things and nothing seemed to be working out. Just nothing seemed to be working out. And, and I suppose what strikes me in my own life, and maybe you're not like this, but I sometimes find when the trouble comes to my door, you know, when the difficult circumstances come to my door, that's when I start to question God's faithfulness. But I don't question it at other times. You know, I don't question it when you're going through a hard time. I just question it when it comes to my own door. And that, I find that really challenging as I thought about that, because, you know, other people were, are caring for elderly parents. Other people have long-term illnesses. Other people, and I mean, even quite a number of years ago, when, when I told you I had one grandson, it actually isn't true. I have two grandsons, but one of my grandsons is in heaven. And little Jude was stillborn at full term. And I remember that was was about seven years ago, and that was a devastating time. But then I did question the faithfulness of God. And I remember the Lord said to me, Priscilla, babies die in this world every single day. Babies dying of starvation in our world today. And you've never once questioned my faithfulness when it came to other babies. It's only when it's come to your own household and I find that challenging, I really do. Um, and so when it comes to looking at the difficult things, you know, uh, the story of Jesus, I'm going to get to Esther eventually, this, I know I'm rambling, um, but the story of Jesus sleeping in the boat has really spoken to me in the last few months particularly um, because the disciples said to Jesus, do you not care if we drown? You know, do you not even care that we're about to drown? And there was a moment in the last few months when I actually said to somebody, I feel like I'm drowning. And then those words were out of my mouth. And very shortly after that, I I was reading the story of Jesus in the boat. And at the same time, I was reading this book written by someone who was was writing about, you know, how as Christians we need to take the authority that... God has given us as children of God, that we've got to walk in that authority, and this is how to live a victorious Christian life. And I was reading this at the same time as I felt it was drowning, and I sort of went from wanting to find out if she had a telephone number so that I could phone her up and rant and rave down the phone at her and say, you know, do you never have any circumstances in your life that never work out? Or do you never have any prayers that go unanswered out? I was ready to rant and rave. And then I swung from that to thinking, well, what am I not doing or what am I doing that is preventing me from living this life that she's talking about? You know, so I was really, really torn. But when I came to Scripture, And I read the story of Jesus in the boat and I realized he wasn't alarmed. He was sleeping. It was a massive storm and he was sleeping. And I thought, you know, we've always made the key of the story that Jesus calms the storm. But the key to the story is trust. Because the Lord said to them after he had calmed the storm, Why do you have so little faith? And I realized the Lord was saying to me, Priscilla, I'm in your boat. And you may think I'm sleeping, but the question is, are you going to trust me in the middle of the storm? Are you going to do that? Amanda, we've met, and you shared your coffee with me this morning, (laughs) very kindly, to try and keep this voice going. Um, and, And I just feel like the Lord wants you to know this morning that he is in your boat. He is in your boat and that even though maybe there's some circumstances around that you so wish he would touch and change that there would be a calming of the storm I just feel like he's saying Amanda you can be secure because I am in your boat and you may in fact he is resting and he is sleeping I love scripture where it says where Jesus said to his disciples I and the father will come and make our home with you the Father and the Lord Jesus has made, have made their home with you. They're at peace, they're at rest in your life. And I know we sometimes ask the question, where are you and what are you doing? But he says, Amanda, for right now, all you need to know is I'm in your boat and I am at rest. And because I am at rest, you can be at rest as well. And that would be true for any of you who are in the middle of a storm at the minute, that Jesus is in your boat, and you can rest because he's resting you know i think we often hear people talk about when we're going through difficult times they they often read that little prose piece footprints in the sand i'm sure most of you have heard it you know where somebody's walking along the beach and they look back and they see uh, two sets of prints then they see one set of prints and they say you know to the lord oh you know, where were you, did you leave me? And then the Lord says to them, no, that's where I carried you. And I mean, personally, I've heard that, like, if I'm being honest, I had nausea quoted lots and lots of times. So I was really, really intrigued when I read in Psalm 77 that there are times when there are no footprints. Where do you hear what it says? Your path led through the sea, Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You see, sometimes we are looking around and we say, Lord, where are you? And we can't see his footprints. But it doesn't mean that he's not working. And for some of you this morning, you need to hear that. You've come to this conference and you're even hoping that here, you know, you'll see a glimpse of his footprints. But he wants you to know this morning that even when you can't see his footprints, he's making a way for you. Because the context of the psalm is he made a way through the mighty waters. He was making a way for his people. So even though his footprints are not seen, he's still making a way for you, lady in the front row. Gorgeous. Love your scarf. He just wants you to know, you may not be able to see his footprints at the moment, but he is making a way for you. He's not only in front of you, walking before you, and he will make a way, but he has gone behind you. And you know, those kind of questions at times where you're saying, Lord, I just can't see what you're doing. I can't see where you're moving or working. He says, that doesn't mean that I'm not here. He's got hold of you and he's with you and he says don't worry that you can't see my footprints because that doesn't mean that i've left you know that i've gone on holiday <laughs> that he's right here with you even in the moments when his footprints are not seen and so let's hold on because this is actually a reflection of what's going on in esther isn't that true we've said over the weekend the name of god is not mentioned in the story, which is remarkable. When you read the story, that actually the Lord's name isn't even mentioned. And so his, they, they, wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't have actually been able to see his footprints. But when we read the story, and <clears throat> at different t- times, as Charlotte has shared the story with us, she has pointed out to us how God was working sovereignly in the background and so I think Esther speaks to us of God's sovereignty and of his faithfulness even though his name isn't mentioned. He is at work even in the most difficult of circumstances and I suppose for me and for you the challenge is that whatever is going on in our lives at the minute and whatever we are going back to um, after we you know, pack up at the end of this conference and head home this afternoon. Whatever we are going back to, are we going to choose to believe that God is still at work, still at work in our lives, at right now, right at this moment, not at some time in the future? He's at work in our lives right now, and He will continue to be at work with everything that is ahead of us. Obviously, when you read the story of the Book of Esther, the purpose of it is, is to tell the story and to let us know what happens. It tells the story of the dramatic origins of one of the feasts that the Jews still celebrate today, the Feast of Purim. But yet I think this greater theme shines through. And again, it's been underlined by Charlotte that nothing is coincidental. Nothing is coincidental in our lives. And nothing is coincidental when we read Esther's story. And I suppose we see God's sovereignty in that much-quoted phrase when Mordecai says to Esther in chapter 4, verse 14, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. And so when events for them seemed out of control, when the king dictated ruin for their people, when evil was poised to triumph, God was at work. And we can hold on to that this morning, ladies. God is at work in our lives. He worked through the darkest of their days. You know, Esther was taken to the harem. And even there, she won favor. She won the favor of the person who was in charge of the harem. And I think I I mentioned to you that the word "find favor" is the word hasad, which means God's unfailing love. (coughs) You know, God is at work in our lives even when we find ourselves in situations that we don't want to be in. You sometimes I think we sort of absorb the lie that God is only at work when you know, we're in the place of our own choosing. But so many of us find ourselves in circumstances that we would never have chosen. Do you really think that Esther would have chosen to be picked up and, you know, and as we've said, trafficked along with these other young women and taken to a harem for the sexual pleasure of a king? Of course she wouldn't have chosen that. But God was with her in those circumstances. His unfailing love was with her and she found favor. Ladies, many of you in this room find yourself in circumstances that you would never have chosen. You find yourself with a long-term illness. Perhaps some of you have suffered bereavement recently. Some of you have known the, the pain of, of either wanting a child or losing a child or having a child with special needs. You know, there's so, some of you have experienced the pain of rejection. A broken relationship. Many, many of you have found yourself in circumstances that you would never, ever have chosen. And God wants you to know that, like Esther, when she was in that harem, he showed her favor and he was with her. Everything does not have to be working well in our lives for us to know that God is with us. And I think God wants to underline that for us this morning. This lovely lady in the, I don't know if it's leopard print. No, it's not leopard print. It's sort of more like a tiger. You're more like a tiger. (laughs) I feel like the Lord really wants you to absorb this today. That you face circumstances that you would not have chosen. You know, when you thought forward about your life, you never thought that this is where it would be. But the Lord says to you, I am with you. I am with you. I have never left you, and I know that some of this you would not have chosen, and some of this has been imposed upon you. But nevertheless, I am with you. And even in these difficult circumstances, just as Esther was shown favor, the Lord says, I will put it in the hearts of some people around you who perhaps even you have had difficulties with, I will put it in their hearts, and even though they don't know me, I will put it in their hearts to show you favour. I am with you. Do not think that I've left because the circumstances are not of your choice. I am here, and I am with you. And we can all hold on to that word if we find ourselves in circumstances that we would not have chosen. He can touch the hearts of those around us, even those who don't know him, in order to show us favor. I mean, I had a lo- have a lovely wee story that, you know, it wasn't like some difficult circumstances that some people are facing in the room. It certainly wasn't the difficult circumstances that Esther was was facing. But it, all, it, it was many years ago, but it's, I look back on it and it makes me smile because it was a con- it is a continual reminder in my life of how God gets people to show you favor. We were um, in India. It was one of my first trips there and uh, we were coming back by train to Mumbai and there were riots in the city. And like, I was a girl from Northern Ireland so I was pretty used to riots so I didn't think that would be a problem at all Um, but anyway we were on this train it was an overnight train it was going to take a long time but it was supposed to be about you know 17 18 hours but anyway the train got slower (coughs) and slower and slower and slower because they want they were hoping the riots would have stopped by the time the train got into the station and so we were on the the train for 30 hours and. Anyway, there was five of us, and we had a, a little girl of five with us, Grace, because one of the girls on the team, were ad- they were adopting Grace. And we arrived in Mumbai, and if you've ever been in Mumbai, it is the busiest, craziest city I've ever been in my life. And we'd been there before, and we get out of the train station, and the streets are empty, like empty. And it was so eerie and weird. Anyway, we met someone, and we were going to go to the hotel we were supposed to be in. And he says, "No, don't go there. It's in the city. Go out to the airport because you'll never get, you'll never get to your plane if you don't go now." So we managed to find someone who took us to the airport and we saw that there was a hotel right next to the airport and it was one of those really really expensive fancy hotels and we thought oh, pot, we'll just go in and see if even they had one room and all five of us could w- it was only an overnight all five of us complete you know jump in, we can get a shower and we can put our heads down somewhere and get to the airport in the morning. So we walk in and the place is bung because all the rich people who would normally have been staying there, you know, people hadn't left their rooms, they hadn't got their rooms because the whole city was in chaos. So we are standing, the five of us with, this, with little Grace, like we looked like urchins, orphans, like, we are filthy, dirty. We are smelly. We are smelly. And, and we just look totally bedraggled. And we're standing in the middle of this, like, luxury. And uh, one of us managed to go and say, you know, do you have any rooms? No rooms, no rooms. Not even possible. So we go, what are we going to do now? Suddenly, through the crowd walks this very tall Indian man, beautifully dressed. Come, come with me. Well, okay, <laughs> whatever. And so we trot along. He pushes people aside. We walk through with him. He takes us to this luxurious lift. Up we go to the very top floor, and he takes us out into this amazing lounge, fabulous sofas, chairs, not a soul in it. He, sa- he said, just rest here until you need to go to the airport. There was a washroom, there was, you know, there were towels, there were everything. And we heard later that it was the lounge that airport staff, you know, pilots and things used if they were in the hotel. And the five of us were in there, like, you know, we didn't need a bed. The the sofas were amazing. And actually we did. We all got washed. We got some, they brought food up. We paid for the food. It was exorbitant, but we paid for the food. And they brought the food up, and then we all lay down on the sofas. And the next thing was these ladies came in and put these soft blankets over us all. And it was like, I lifted my head and I said to the other girls, this is cause when we came in, somebody said to him, you see those, that group there? Their daughters are the king, you better look after them. <laughs> <laughs> and you honestly, I, I keep I think about that often. Because it just, to me, was a real picture of how God can sh- you know, move in situations and you can be shown favor because of who you are, because you belong to him and he cares about us so, so very much. So he worked through their darkest days and he will work through our darkest days as well. And he works and is faithful even when we feel that everything is out of control. You know, you think of Esther's story and Mordecai's. You know, they really were not in control of their circumstances at all. In fact, even Mordecai, although he stayed as near as possible to Esther as he could, He really could, if she had been in danger, there wasn't really anything that he could have done to help her. It's a bit like, you know, when they had to put Moses in the basket and send him off down the river and his sister kept an eye on him. But God made sure that the right person picked him out of the river. He was kept safe. He actually was restored to his mother as well as being brought up in the king's palace. And so, although they were helpless, God was still faithful and came to their aid, and ladies, whenever you feel helpless, when you feel that you're out of control, you know that he is still the one who is in control. And we now know the story, we've repeated it several times, but in that moment as Mordecai is trying to be as close to Esther as he can, trying to keep an eye on her, he overhears the plot to kill the king, it's foiled, the conspirators are punished, it's all recorded, And now we know that that bit of the story was so essential for what happened in their deliverance later on. I love Isaiah 64, verse six. It says, there is no God besides our God. There is no God besides our God. And this is what it says. Who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. No God besides our God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him? In fact, it says, "No ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you. You come to the help of those who gladly do right. You remember your way or their ways. And Paul quotes it obviously, in Corinthians and Corinthians, 1 Corinthians two, verse nine, Paul says, "No eye has seen what no ear has heard, and no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared." For those who love him. Maybe not being in control is the very best place to be. He acts on behalf of those who wait for him. He will act on your behalf. You're a woman in the back row, you have a blue sweater on. And yes, and you've just looked around. Yes. <laughs> uh, he acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And I just feel like the Lord wants you to know that um, if you're in a waiting season, he will act on your behalf. That, that again, he is, not, you know, he, he, he is not inactive at the minute. And I think he's wanting to draw you in um, to a deeper, intimate relationship with him so that you can just say, okay, Lord, you know, th- I'm, I'm not sure about the timing of all of this, I'm not sure um, exactly how this will all fit into place, but he says, you know, you don't have to come up with your own plan, you don't have to come up with your own ideas. Um, I've got the plan, and in my time I will reveal it to you. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure, but I don't think it's about necessarily a difficult situation. It's not something that's really hard, but that it's just something that that you're, you know, looking to, you know, what, what is the next step, or what, is, what does the future hold, or what is going to happen? And I just feel like he's saying, I've got the plan, and but he's not so much interested at the moment. In revealing the plan to you, he's, he's, he says, you know, I'm not giving you the map that you can say, oh, right, this is how we're going. And I think maybe that you're the sort of person who would, who would like the plan. But um, I, I feel like the Lord is saying, you know, I'm not giving you the plan, but what I am offering you is a guide, because I'll be your guide. I've got hold of your hand. We'll walk through the plan step by step. But this is about trusting me. And you will be blessed as you wait for him to move and act. And so as Mordecai and Esther were out of control, um, they saw that God was still moving on their behalf. And then even though they weren't sure what was going on, they still engaged with faithful obedience. And I think that is so important for us, isn't it? And I find this so challenging in my life that when things are going wrong, when things are difficult, when circumstances are pressing in, you know, I know everybody's reactions are different, but I realize that I'm the sort of person that I, I, I either take two courses of action. I either fight or I flee. So if things are going wrong, I either fight with the Lord Argue with them, complain, and give them this, or else I just flee. I just go quiet. Go, okay, good. You're in charge. So where to you? I'm not talking to I'm not talking to you about this anymore. And do you, do you, and I, and I'm, I'm huffing. I'm huffing because I do. It, Paul says I do it with him as well, my husband. <laughs> he says it's all picture and no sound. Um, and, and, that's, and I know I'm like that in my relationships, you know, I'll fight or I'll flee. And, and I've had to learn that, you know, in the middle of times when you're not sure what's going on, when you're not sure what God is up to, it is about us continuing to be faithfully obedient. It's continuing to say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I am still going to faithfully follow you. And in the day-to-day, I am going to be obedient to what you're asking me to do. That even though it might seem small and may not, not even seem significant in the grand scheme of things, that if I will walk with you in faithful obedience, that actually, that is what the Christian life is all about. Um, I love, um, and I love him, and his name's gone out of my head, Oswald Chambers. I love reading Oswald Chambers and you know he he says you know people talk about finding god in the valley they talk about finding god on the mountaintop but he says if you cannot find god in the humdrum of your life then you will not find him that 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 is so true you know most of our lives are not amazing and exciting and you know i have a young friend in america and i always dread her coming because she always wants every day to be this amazing experience. You know, I say, let's just calm down. You know, can we not just chill out for a day and have a cup of coffee and put her feet up? <coughs> but she doesn't like to do that because it can't be posted on Instagram. <laughs> um, <coughs> but you know, most of our lives are reasonably humdrum. But you know, it really matters that in the humdrum of our lives, we faithfully obey the Lord and we take the next step, and we take the next step, whatever we're currently facing. And I think Mordecai was a man who falls into the category of the people that we've just read about in Isaiah, the people who honor God, and the people who are waiting for God. Mordecai was that man. And he refused to bow to Haman. He was faithful even though he knew that was risking his life. You know, it doesn't say it in Esther, but I think it was exactly the same motivation that was behind Daniel not bowing down to the idol. It was the same motivation behind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing down. It isn't as clear in Esther, but I, I think it's, we are not stretching the truth too far to say it was exactly the same motivation for Mordecai. He knew he was one of God's people. He knew that it was only the Lord God that he would bow to. He was not going to bow to this man, even though his life was at risk. And there was pressure put on him because it actually says they came to him day after day, which is true of Daniel and the other boys as well. Do you know something I think Haman knew? I mean, he was really aggravated by um, Mordecai not buying down. I I know uh, Charlotte called him he, he heinous he I can't even say that word he, heinous Haman, um, and she's been teaching you a lot of Northern Ireland colloquialism. Um, what you said he was a plonker. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think he was a halion. Have you ever heard of halion? That's another Northern Ireland colloquialism that you can tuck, tuck into your belt. Uh, Hazel knows exactly what a Halian is, so he was Halyon Haman. Um, uh, but I think Haman knew that it wasn't just about Mordecai, and that's why, why he went after the people that Mordecai um, belonged to, because he knew these people live by a different set of values than I do. These people are part of a different kingdom. In fact, he actually gave expression to that to the king. You know, they're dangerous people because they, they're, not of, they're not like us. They're dangerous people. And I think that's what irritated him so much that he did want to kill Mordecai personally, but that he wanted to engage in ethnic cleansing and kill the whole of the Jewish race. And I, you know, in our world today, As we live for Jesus and we live to promote the values of his kingdom, I think we are facing increasing challenges to do that. I don't want the church to be known for what it's against. We have the most amazing message of life and hope and freedom and healing and liberty. I mean, we have the most amazing message And that is the message that we want to communicate. And yet, at the same time, we carry the truth that we live by a different set of values, and we dare not compromise them. And so, therefore, that can end up getting us into hot water. And I think in the 21st century, and to be fair, it's been true of the church down through the centuries, it's just we're facing our own set of challenges and circumstances. Let's be women who proclaim the hope of the gospel, who proclaim the abundant living that Jesus talked about, but at the same time are able in a gracious way to stand for truth and to stand for the values of God's kingdom, even though it means that others will not understand. And there may be times when it gets us into hot water. And then, as God remained faithful, and God was with them, and God was blessing them, even in the most difficult circumstances, Esther risks her life in the middle of all of this, as she goes before the king. And again, God ensures that she's shown favor. It says, as she went in, he was pleased with her, and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. And that allowed her to put the, her plan into action. And you know something? We say it was her plan, but I always believe that God can give us creative solutions. He can, you know, for those of you in the workplace, and maybe your, your team or whoever you're working with is facing a particular problem, you know, I think it's really good to say, Lord, can you give me a creative solution here? Can you show me um, so that I can help? The people I'm working with. Look, here's an answer to this. To, to here's an answer to this problem, and uh, I just think that it is amazing that the Lord can do can do that, and that as His people in the in the workplace, we can come up with ideas, and people go, that's a brilliant idea, and you, I mean, you don't have to say, well, actually, it wasn't me; it was the Lord. But you know, you, you can read. I I met a young woman who worked for a very big company in Northern Ireland, and. She said, look, you know, she'd risen right to the top. I mean, she was, she was now, like, the boss. And uh, she was flourishing. And she says, look, Priscilla, I'm not being modest. Like, I'm not the cleverest person in the world. She says, you know, I am not the best at what I do, you know, in comparison to that. I'm amazed at where I've ended up. But she says, honestly, each step of the way, I just kept saying, Lord, what are we going to do about this? Lord, what am I going to do about that? What are I going to do about the other thing? And she says, he kept on giving me these ideas. And I just shared them, you know, when we were together. And when we put them into practice, it worked. And she says, I got promoted. And I got promoted and I got promoted. And I, I just thought that was just so amazing that God would do that. He's a creative God. So what we say it was Esther's plan. I really believe that God revealed the plan Esther that he showed her what to do and so she makes her request and and of course Charlotte told us about you know it wasn't coincidental that was the very night that the king couldn't sleep like the night before last I sort of thought I know what you felt like Xerxes I can't get to sleep at all tonight I just wish in our bedroom Paul has got this sh- like a monster book called the history of Ulster um, which I've never opened and I thought, if that book was here, I could start to read it. I'm sure that would send me over to sleep. Because <laughs> it certainly sent Xerxes over to sleep. But in the, in the process, he learns about you know the plot, and then we know what unfolds after that. And so, Haman suffers the humiliation of having to honour Mordecai. And do you know what I think, too? The enemy always overreaches himself. He always does it. He just goes a step too far. You know, so he was just going a step too far in this story, where Haman was just pushing it and pushing it. and You know, I'll kill Mordecai. No, I'll kill them all. You know, and he just, the enemy just goes one step too far. And I think, again, coming from Northern Ireland, we experienced that. Like, during what was called the Troubles in Northern Ireland, it was a terrible time. People, innocent people were being killed through bombs and shootings. and, And, you know, the church... It, it, it was a terrible time and it was a wonderful time because it was a time when there was so much disunity in the body of Christ in Northern Ireland. But because of what we were going through, it pulled us together and we began to pray together. You know, I remember just before the peace process was announced, we had a prayer meeting in Stormont, which is our local parliament, and there were 10,000 people at it. And in the beginning, you couldn't have got five people to come to a prayer meeting to pray about the situation. So do you know what I mean? It's like almost like the enemy throws another thing and another thing and another thing, and he just goes a step too far, and God moves in. And I think that's what happened in our story, because God's purpose will never be thwarted. God's purposes for your life can never be thwarted. All of the purposes that he has for you will stand and remain. I love Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That's what he did for Esther. That's what he'll do for you and I. God's purposes for your life, even if you have to wait for them, will not be thwarted. I'm drawn to people with scarfs this morning. There's a young woman at the back and you've got a scarf around your neck. And uh, and just as I look at you, I just feel like, you know, the Lord is really wanting to reassure you again, you know, of the good purposes that he has for you. And they haven't all unfolded yet. Uh, they will continue to unfold. But I feel like he really wants you to know that any barriers that, and you know, I don't want to attribute the the devil, you know, I don't want to attribute more to the devil than he's due. But... Sometimes, you know, there are barriers or there are things like what Charlotte was sharing in her story of, you know, she sort of felt like God had a call in her life and this was where she wanted to be. But it just didn't feel that she was going to be able to get there. And I just feel like the Lord wants to reassure you that those good plans that he has for you and the place that he has for you. It's almost like, you know, I'm taking it out of context where it's John's or Jesus said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. I feel like the Lord is saying, I'm preparing a place for you. My plans for your life will never be thwarted. The enemy will never be able to rob you of anything that I have for you. And maybe in this season you can just rest in that and know that his plans for you will unfold in his time and that this verse particularly, it is God who works in you to will, that, that your will will be involved. This is what I want and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose so god is sovereign and faithful even when life doesn't make sense you know i'm sure esther and mordecai were you know would be thinking how could god let it happen that his people would be wiped out how would that how could that even be possible and yet what god did is he worked behind the scenes where his footprints were not seen, was that he allowed them to set in place a plan where his people could defend themselves. And so I have to remind myself of this truth, even in the daily reality of my life. And as I said at the beginning, and I'm coming to a close, you know, just in the the recent past, I have felt I've been in a season of feeling overwhelmed, feeling that I was drowning. Um, but the Lord kept reassuring me, look, I've got it in hand, even when you can't see it. And I love that song that some of us are singing at the moment, even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I can't see it, you're working. And Jesus even said this to his disciples in John 13. He says, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. But I think sometimes we have to really understand that that may not even happen in our lifetime you know we may not get the explanations until heaven that it, when he says later you will understand he was saying that to the disciples but you know for us i mean there have been things happen in my life and the only peace i could get was rolling up all the questions and saying lord You know, you don't seem to be giving me the answers to these questions. I've just got to leave the questions with you. And that later I will understand. I love this quote from Anne Voskamp. She says, instead of explaining our suffering, God shares it. Because he knows mere answers are cold, but his arms are warm. So if you're in the middle of something at the minute and you're looking for answers, Maybe God isn't offering you the answers because he knows that that actually won't bring you any comfort. But what he does offer you is his presence. And he offers you his arms around you because his arms are warm. He is the great promise keeper. I think probably there's not one person in this room who maybe isn't holding on to a promise from the Lord that they haven't seen fulfilled just yet. And he is the great promise keeper, when Mordecai said to Esther, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place and you and your, fa- and you and your father's house may perish. And, but I think when he said relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews, I think what he was doing, he was reflecting by faith on the promises that God had given his people. I think it was that he was looking back at the eternal covenant that God had made with Abraham and he was saying God you made this promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to my forefathers and your promise never fails and you have promised this and so I can tell Esther that relief and deliverance will come to this people because God will never fail in keeping his promises. And that's true for us, ladies. If you're holding on to a promise from the Lord today, take it out, shake it down, hold on to it, speak it over your life, because God will never fail in the promises that he's given you. So as we finish this morning, and as we come to have communion, we can all agree that life can be hard, difficult times come, and pain can't be avoided in life. But when life doesn't make sense, and it surely at times must not have made sense for Esther, do we turn to God or do we turn away from him? I believe that the book of Esther encourages us that God is always present. He's always present. He never goes away. Jesus called us his friends and the Spirit is our helper. I mean, I'll tell you this quick story anyway. I'm gonna say that my time is off, but um, before lockdown, uh, I remember, I mean, I could've walked on a beach during lockdown as well, but I know it was before lockdown. I was walking along the beach, and it's one of my favorite places to talk with the Lord, you know, just talk about everything, and we were walking along, and I was chatting over lots of things, and suddenly had a moment, and I said, Lord, I just love this. I love that you're always there. You're always available. I can talk to you any the night or day. You never I'm allowed to ramble. Again, my poor husband, he's having a hard time this weekend. And um, What he does with me is when I'm telling him a story, because I go on so long, he picks up the, re- the remote of the TV and goes, Priscilla, fast forward, rewind. Fast forward, rewind. Um, And I said, you never do that to me, Lord. You never go fast forward, rewind. I can just ramble on as much as I want. And I said, I'm loving this, Lord. It's just great. And then I said, oh, I've just had an awful thought. I said, Lord, I hope heaven's not going to be like the Queen's Garden Party. Like we're all lined up and we only get a minute of your time. I wouldn't like that at all. (laughs) And, uh, And... you know, it just, it just struck me again how wonderful it is that he is always present in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is our helper. And what we're called to do is trust. What we're called to do is, is be obedient as Esther was. And then watch God silently weave all the events for his glory, but for our good. And so deliverance came for his people, and that is still celebrated today. There's so many wonderful lessons in Esther, but as we come to communion this morning, I just want us to take a moment, and at the very end of our time, I am gonna ask you for a response, but I feel that it would be good to hold the response until after we've taken communion, because is there any better picture Of the faithfulness of God. If we're going through hard times, if we've ever doubted that he loves us, all we have to do is come to the cross. We come to the cross and we say, Lord, how could I ever doubt that you love me and that you're there for me when you did all this for me? This is a celebration of his faithfulness. And so I just want to give you a moment's reflection. Before Charlotte comes and shares with us, I want to give you a moment's reflection to think about the faithfulness of God in your life. Perhaps even currently in your life, despite very difficult circumstances. And we'll take a moment, and then Charlotte's going to come and share with us. And then we're going to have communion together to celebrate his faithfulness. And our final act will be an act of response at the very end. So come Holy Spirit. Come Lord. We just want to reflect for this moment. On your amazing faithfulness in our lives. So Lord, at this point we join our hearts together and we do say as one, you are an amazingly faithful God and we love you Lord and we thank you for every evidence of your faithfulness in our lives. In Jesus' lovely name.
1: was talking about um, a prepared place. It just dropped into my mind, Psalm 23, where it says that he prepares a table before us, but it's in the presence of our enemies. Isn't it strange in the context of war that God's still setting the table, huh? Because the fierceness of our season does not dictate the fullness of his table. And even when you're in the presence of your enemies, even there, he still sets the table and he says come eat i wonder if you'd maybe bow your head close your eyes i'm going to read a passage of scripture over us as we prepare to take communion says in matthew 26 while they were eating jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying take and eat this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. As we participate in this Remembrance Meal, we remember that he took Lambano and that he gave me. And in that moment, he takes of what is his and he gives it to us. He invites his followers to participate in it with him. Today, as you receive this meal, he invites you to participate in it, to participate in what he's doing and the story he is writing. You don't sit on the outskirts. When you take communion, you remember that you have a personal invitation to participate in his story. But while this is a personal invitation, it is not a private one. For communion, is communal. When we receive communion, we do it together. Because God calls us in those moments to bear witness to his invitation in one another's lives too. No life should go unnoticed. No life should go uncelebrated. Because his activity in every life is precious and deeply valuable. So as we take communion together, we thank God for our personal invitation to participate in his glorious redemption story. But we also bear witness to the beauty of his work in the lives of the others gathered around this table. Let's pray. Precious Jesus, we gather around your table, hungry children desperate to be filled with you. We thank you that you want us here. There is space for us here. A personal invitation to be here. Help us to receive that invitation with gladness. Do not shrink back out of insecurity or shame, but to take our seat at your table. We thank you that we are not alone at this table. Help us not to clamber over one another, competing for the space and place of another or disregarding our brothers and sisters equally loved and invited by you. Help us rejoice in their coming and play our role well as witnesses to your work in them. Precious Jesus, we gather around your table, eyes fixed on you hungry children, desperate to be filled. Thank you that you won't send us away empty. Amen.
0: So as Charlotte says, we're going to do this together. And in order for that to happen, in a moment, um, I'm going to pray for the bread and, i have to call it wine i can never call it juice i'm going to go forever the red and the wine and then i'm going to invite you to just come maybe you could come from both sides and take the cup and take a bit of bread and then go back around to your seat again and make sure that every but if you would hold it so that we can take it together and and so and if someone beside you finds it difficult to come and with, with the mobility problems, please take, take the bread and the cup to them. And take, take, take it so that we make sure that everyone has the cup and, and the bread. And then we'll just wait until everyone has received it and then we will all participate together and celebrate what Jesus has done for us together, as Charlotte has exhorted us to do. So let me pray first before you come to give thanks for the bread, and to give thanks for the cup. Father, on the night Jesus instituted this amazing feast, it says he gave thanks. And Lord, with full hearts today, we thank you for this bread. We thank you, Lord, for your body broken. In the midst of the brokenness of our both individual worlds and the world at large, you allowed your body to be broken for us to experience wholeness, for us to experience healing, for us to experience your forgiveness. And your love and your grace. Lord Jesus, thank you for your body broken. And Lord, we also know that you gave thanks for the cup. And you knew the cup that you were going to drink on our behalf. You drank that cup to the very last drop. In order that we could drink this cup today in celebration, that your blood was shed for us. Father, that we will never be held account to account for our sins because you cover us with the blood of Jesus and you have robed us in a robe of righteousness. You are an amazingly faithful God. And today, with full hearts, together we say thank you for this bread. And thank you for this cup. And so we'll just come. Please come and lift a cup. Lift, take the bread. As I say, please make sure that you serve anyone who finds it difficult to come. Hold it and then we'll come back and we will take it together. Ladies, as you're coming, just a little practical point for those of you who are gluten-free. Don't hold back because on this table in the basket, there is some bread right here in front of me that is gluten-free. In case any of you didn't realize that, please feel free to come and get some. Just want to make sure that everyone has received bread and the cup. If if you're, just just put your hand up and we'll get it to you. We all have. Before we eat the bread and drink the cup, let's hear that invitation again. Come to this table, not because you must, but because you may not because you're strong, but because you're weak. Come, not because any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more. Come because he loved you and gave himself for you. Come. And meet the risen Christ. For we are his body. Here is the table of the Lord. And we are gathered to his supper. A foretaste of things eternal. Come when you're fearful. To be made new in his love. Come when you're doubtful. To be made strong in your faith. Come when you're regretful. To be made whole. Come old and young, there's room for all. And we're invited to come together around this table as those who belong to the household of Christ, sisters who in our lives live out the death and resurrection of Jesus, the family of the reborn, the reconciled, who inhabit a universe of grace. Let's come, let's take, and let's eat. We'll eat the bread and we'll drink the cup. Let's take this cup together. Being reflected on his faithfulness and now having participated in communion that celebrates his faithfulness I said I would love us to do a response at the end and I know often our response at, e- at the end of times together is about us receiving prayer but I just feel there is such power I'm going back to the first night and with what Charlotte shared with us there's such power in finding our voice And there is such power in telling our story and telling our story, not when everything's sorted out, but even in the midst of the difficulties and the trials. And so I want our response to be today more of a declaration. And as we declare, what we do is we actually engage in spiritual warfare because we say, like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, whatever I'm going through at this moment, Lord, I know you can deliver me, but even if you don't, you're still my God. That's our declaration today. And that's what I would love our declaration to be. And you know, rather than getting you all to stand up together and make the declaration, I want it to be an individual thing. I know some of you have mobility issues so you cannot stand, but I want you to be the like the little girl she was sitting in the back seat of her mummy's car and she was, stand, she was standing up. And her mom says, you can't stand up. You have to sit down. You're not allowed to stand up. And she eventually sat down and she says, mommy, I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> so for some of you, you will have to stay seated. But the Lord knows you're standing up on the inside. And you can declare what I'm going to ask you to declare. So we're going to have a wee bit of holy chaos in this moment, which I love. So what I'm going to do is, in your own time, okay, and we're going to be speaking it over each other. You know, we'll be speaking over each other. We're going to be, you're English, so you're really polite. But in this instance, you're allowed to speak over each other. Um, It's okay, I give you permission. Um, And so, I'm going to pray in a second. But what I want each of you to do, if you feel that you want to do it, is to stand up individually to your feet. And if you're able, lift up your hand and say, you are my faithful God. Just that little phrase. You are my faithful God. And we declare it over each other, but we declare it over ourselves. So what I'm imagining is that, you know, we have people popping up all over the place and just shout it out or whisper it out or speak it out. And if you're sitting, you can still speak it out. And we know you're standing up on the inside. Uh, so I'm just going to pray and then as soon as I finish praying just start to pop up all over the room and a lovely friend who Matt called up to join him in the worship is in the room somewhere and she had felt the Lord prompt her that even though we don't have live worship this morning that we should sing together Amazing Grace and so after everyone has responded in fact you maybe could just come and join me now and then we'll we'll keep standing and we'll join our hearts together to sing amazing grace so father in this in this moment as we have reflected on your faithfulness have we as we've seen the journey of your faithfulness in esther's story lord we want to be women who embrace it for ourselves It's not about someone else, it's about me, Lord. Lord, you've been faithful all my life. You've been faithful on the mountaintop experiences. You've been faithful in the valleys. But you've also been faithful in the humdrum every day of our lives. You are our faithful God. And we want to make a declaration to ourselves. We want to make a declaration to our sisters but more than anything else God we want to make a declaration to the enemy that you are our faithful God that is our story that is our testimony and so I start the ball rolling today and I stand to say you are my faithful God
1: you are my faithful
0: Can we give it one last shout together one two three you are my faithful god and let's stay standard standing as we sing together